welcome to the preview for the League Cup final, uh, the big match this weekend as Celtic take on Rangers at Hamden on the 26th of February 2023. It's currently 12.45 in Glasgow um, and I am joined by my good friend Callum Gordon in Berlin where I assume it's 1.45, right Callum? You are correct. Flawless timekeeping there. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Lovely stuff. Um, obviously, it's the big uh, big cup final. Um, we've seen kind of the build-up this week from kind of various kind of outlets, news and stuff. So we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit. Um, we've got some Ange uh, and Callum McGregor press conference comments I think we want to go over. We've got some opposition analysis uh, from Christian. And then we've got also, obviously, we'll look at how we think Celtic are going to line up. Um, and... Uh, how we think we're going to approach it. But Callum, how the hell are you? What are you looking forward to this weekend? Uh, where are you watching the game, etc.? Uh, I'm good, I'm good. I'm trying to enjoy the sort of last few hours of normality of the weekend before it all goes to shit and I'm just a, a nervous wreck, which will definitely kick in. The second I wake up tomorrow morning, probably start to get the jitters this evening. Um, so yeah, quiet weekend, looking forward to it. Um, I'm looking forward to it just being over, to be honest. I don't enjoy these weeks or these weekends and the build-up to it. Um, but if you do manage to come away with a result after it, it's it's brilliant. So, yeah, tomorrow, um, do do my best to kill a bit of time. Um, that kickoff time is an absolute nightmare um, compared to what it usually is because you usually wake up and you've only got a few hours to go yeah. uh, until kickoff. Um, so a lot of pacing about the room tomorrow, I'd imagine, and then uh, head to our CSE, um, watch it there. Um and then I've not been drinking at the minute, but um, I might, I might break that break that rule if we if we do manage to get a result. Aye. But looking forward to it. But mostly looking forward to that final whistle and hopefully seeing us lift another trophy. Absolutely. Um, what time will you head along it to your CSC? Yet? Is there like a build up there, or is it just before kickoff? Or uh, it gets quite. It's one of the few games that gets quite busy, especially if there's you know two rooms, so there might be another game on. I think it might actually be the Union Berlin. Bayern game which is like the top of the table clash, yeah. clash. Uh, so I usually try to get down 45 minutes before and in theory I like to say that I would sit and you know have a pint and chat to everyone else that's there but to be honest I'm usually a nervous wreck and giving one word answers to, to everyone and scrolling my phone and generally killing time with a pint until it kicks off and it seems to be the only when you know the game actually starts that I'm actually able to to relax a bit because it's right right there in front of you but the waiting absolutely kills me let me ask you this obviously you've been obviously you're in Germany so you don't get as many games as you'd like um but would you prefer to be in the stadium or what where do you think it's easier to kind of digest everything the stadium for me is always, you know, a lot easier because you've just got, you know, you've got things to fill your time a little bit, whether it's getting up to the grounds or getting through security at the turnstiles uh, and so on. So, you know, if you can be in the ground, I gen- generally find you can be a little bit more relaxed for some strange reason. You feel like you have a bit more control yeah. over it, as mental as that sounds. Whereas, you know, if you're watching, you know, several hundred miles away uh, on a on a stream that's usually like a minute or two behind, um, it just ramps up the tension. Um, a lot more um, but whether I'm in the ground or watching it on TV I absolutely detest these fixtures and it's I guess it's the thought of them winning more than necessarily us, us winning it's the, the idea of them having any joy if we were playing any other domestic opponent in a cup final you can go into it and enjoy the occasion a little bit more and be a little bit more relaxed you know you obviously want to win but it's not got that you know the downside of losing isn't as, as great Um so I, I would always, you know, prefer to be in, in the stadium, um, but not to be tomorrow, unfortunately. 
I've got a ticket. Enjoy. Actually, I had a ticket that I had to turn down. I've got you know, a lot on at work at the minute and um, having to go away for work on Monday or Tuesday next week. Uh, so I had to give my ticket to a mate, unfortunately. But, you know, that's good karma. It's good, great karma. Absolutely great karma. Um, <coughs> I've... Um, you know, it's funny because obviously we're recording this and I'll, I'll put this up and, and make it available. Um, and then I have nothing to do at all until kickoff. <laughs> like, usually, you know, you've got stuff to do on Saturday or whatever. We were going to paint our front our front kind of room. And I said to Claire last night, I was like, oh, we fuck. I'm not, absolutely no chance. I'm not painting a room. So uh, I was go- we were going to use that nervous energy to paint the room, but I'm just like, absolutely not. So... I think I'll have to go to the pub about seven o'clock, a few pints, and then wake up and then uh, go straight to... Chris Bowd lives right beside Hamden, as in right beside Hamden, as in you walk from his his front his front door right round and you're right at the Celtic end. So we're going to go to Chris Bowd's for a few drinks and uh, try and um, relax ourselves before the big kickoff. Um, Does he know you're turning up? Because that sounds like you've just invited yourself mid points. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll get he'll get a message. Don't worry about that. He'll get he'll get a message. I'm two minutes away. Open the door. <laughs> <laughs> it's half past ten. I'm two minutes away. Knock knock. Um, great stuff, man. Genuinely, I mean, as as you say, I, I'm not looking forward to either. Um, I'm looking forward to it being over and Callum McGregor having raised the the trophy. As Alan says on the lunch club, like not to underplay the trophy. It's not like a, you know, it's the league cup. It's not the Scottish cup. It's not the league. It's it's one where it's almost. We just need to win it so they don't. Is that is that a feeling you have? Aye, no, absolutely. Um, but the, the League Cup's always, you know, from the age that I was sort of young enough to start going to games or whatever, it's generally been pretty kind to us and seen, you know, a lot of great victories over the, over the years and it's been, you know, always a, a good day out. Um, I enjoyed it in recent years when they sort of moved it to before Christmas yeah. as well. Um, obviously now back to a more traditional time from when they used to have it. Um, but I, it's it's one of those things where you know it's nice as part of a, a double or a treble, but you know in no way is it season defining. Um, and that will be you know even if the worst happens tomorrow, that will still very much be the case. But um, you know we it was spoken about on, on the lunch club, but the idea of you just don't want to give them any oxygen, especially in relation to the the title race either. Um, you know don't want to jump too far ahead, but you know going away to Saint Mirren. Um, the following week, you, you know, we very much just want to stamp our authority on this game and continue continue momentum because, you know, like I've said before on, on podcasts, I think this is a, a special Celtic side that has levels to go up and you want to see them get the sort of just rewards for that. Um, so, I, you know, as much as we can downplay the importance of the League Cup, we will if we don't come out on top tomorrow, you know, uh, it's one that I desperately, desperately want to win and want to see Ange and his time here rack up as, as many trophies as possible. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's get it done. We'll, we'll focus on uh, how we're going to, how we think we're going to line up and stuff later on in the pod. But uh, we've got some news, and I don't want to go spend too much time on this, but I just wanted to highlight the first uh, kind of news point is Michael Beale quashed claims of a clash of personalities with Ange Postecoglou as the Rangers boss insists he has nothing but respect for his Celtic counterpart. This is after calling him lucky and lots of snidey wee digs. Um, I'll just read out some of the quotes. The Rangers manager said, I'm not going to do the voice. I was thinking about doing the voice. Please don't. I won't. Uh, There's a huge mutual respect. It's fine. We can laugh about it because we know there is nothing there. That's you, media guys. Jobs. I get it. It sells. It's okay. The fixture itself sells. There's nothing between me and him. Me and him? 
Well, I mean, that enough makes it, makes it feel like something. There's a lot of respect there. We can only speak openly when we bump into each other at games and whatnot. The job he's done since he came into the country has been fantastic. He's helped recruit players from a part of the world and brought players in who are really showing a light in our game. It's my job to build a strong Rangers and try and move forward the way. At this moment in time, we have two excellent teams in the country and we try to show... It's just a bit... I heard them, I heard them say on the radio when I was coming back from the, the game on Saturday talking about it's a cup final that the neutrals will love and this is a great... And it's all just very, oh, mate, no, you just sound like a total pudding. Do you know what I mean? He's, you know, you know, the fact of it is he's a you know, pretty inexperienced manager in terms of being that person who, um, you know, it's quick. I think it's probably much easier to be a coach and work away in the background and do good work. But when you need to be the face of, you know, the whole club, um, you know, I think you can certainly see that he's still trying to navigate that from being kind. Um, you know, I always think back to when Martin O'Neill came in and, you know, he addressed the press and basically said, you know, Rangers are the benchmark and we, you know, we need to sort of surpass that. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that's not what he was saying to the players, you know, behind closed doors or whatever, but it was very respectful and gave them no ammunition. Um, and sort of, you know, I think Bill since he's came in with his lucky comments and whatever, it's all been about, you know, creating this narrative that, you know, if things don't go right, absolves of of, of blame. Um, you know, his his sort of general narrative that he's tried to spin is that, you know, look at the mess that I've inherited and look at how much money Celtic have spent. So, you know, don't get your hopes up too much. Um and I think that's very much been about self-preservation. I don't think it's necessarily been about, you know, trying to put pressure on us. I think he's he's a guy who, you know, got off to a great start at QPR and then things went a bit awry. Uh, and I think he was, you know, you know, I think he's very aware of the his, you know, the perception of him, especially down south and so on in, in the media and was very much trying to, you know, spin a narrative that um, of a plucky underdog coming in to trying to trying to upset the odds, which you know isn't the case, and I don't think he's necessarily even the, the you know bright enough to particularly yeah. do that. Uh, but I definitely think that's what you know he's going for with the added bonus of maybe trying to get under Angie's skin. But you know Angie's a bit too long in the tooth for that, and I think you know whether it's Beal or Sakala or whoever's comments this week, I think the way that we've conducted ourselves has been exactly what you would want and expect from, you know, a team of, of winners um who don't need to bump their gums in the press and so on. Um but hopefully then go out and, and do the business in the park on Sunday. Um you know, I obviously <laughs> remember the Jim White comment to Brian Loudrop. Why are Brian, why are you so good? Right? Which is kind of the the famous, you know, hilarious pathetic uh, sycophantic nature of the scottish press there's a there's a question um asked of callum mcgregor and we'll get to that when we do the presser stuff but essentially they say oh michael bailey and oh what's it like eh? oh amazing eh? and um mcgregor just answers it really respectfully he's really dignified you know if our player well let me ask you this if our players acted the way though their players have and kind of with these quote I mean fashion Sakala specifically, but there's been another couple over the last couple of weeks or whatever. You would just be embarrassed, right? You would, I mean, you look like an idiot, particularly if it doesn't come off. Um it's not you know um like I've said, I, I'm fairly nervous going into these fixtures and I, I don't like anything that's even close to tempting fate. Yeah. Um, or anything like that. And you know, I'm quite happy for our, our players and our managers to give incredibly boring answers and in press conferences um it's not what you want to hear you know it's great when it comes off and you win and you know think back to last season and Gigi's comments but for me they're not 
particularly comparable. Um, you know, he was talking about, you know, thinking that we were the stronger team in the league rather than saying we're a, we're a much better side. Um, so, no, I, I you know, it, I don't think it, it helps. You know, there's obviously the old cliche of that's their, their you know, we say Cal has done Andrew's team talk for him. Um, and I don't know how much of it will filter into the players, but they will be, they will be aware of it. Um, I don't think they'll need particularly, you know, much extra added motivation. Uh, but it's a nice wee sort of cherry on the top that, you know, hopefully come full time tomorrow, we can see Kyogo dancing around Sakala while he lies on a heap on the ground. Um, so, you know, I don't think it will play into the players' minds too much, but um, you know, especially as a fan, you, you do get you do get incredibly riled up by that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of jump to the kind of end news comment. It's uh, fashion. Sakala could look pretty stupid after his other mod comments. Uh, says Chris Boyd, and if anybody knows about looking fucking stupid, it's Chris Boyd. Um, you know, this is as it's a day before the derby, and I just wanted to highlight like some of the some of the real pish that's kind of perpetrated in in our media. You know, I I was thinking about you know my, my dad still reads some of the papers, and um, and he still when I go to the pub with him, he's still like, oh, I read this guy, and it really annoyed me, and all this, and I'm like, why are you getting yourself so kind of riled up? But if you look at see if you look at our mainstream media. There's very li- right. We're going to do an opposition analysis with Christian. That's going to come up. And Christian will talk about how Rangers play, how Celtic play, and how they can, you know, do something from that. Nothing, none of that's done. None of that's done in, in in the Scottish media. It's all he said, she said, quotes, comments. Um, Keith Jackson saying, "Oh, I think Morelos is going to you know, some weird cocaine comment or whatever." I don't know about being fast, and, and you know, it's pathetic in Germany. Uh, obviously. Is it similar? I mean, is there a strand of that? But do you get kind of different sort of kind of uh, coverage when it comes to big cup finals? I think um, you know. I think you you'll get your sort of bog standard tabloid stuff in you know any part of the world because yeah. it does you know it gets clicks and sells newspapers. But there is a much more um, you know they'll do tactical previews for pretty much you know all their games. There's a weekly football magazine or maybe bi-weekly uh, called Kicker over here, which yeah. you know covers the game you know right from the, the top division down to the sort of regionalia, like fourth or whatever. Uh, an incredible detail, and it's it's just a different way of approaching football. And, and you know Scottish football and Scottish football media seems quite happy for you know it to continue to be a sort of soap opera, uh, and you know the any sort of analytical or tactical discussion is sort of seen as the sort of preserve of right weirdos, um, which, you know, you can, you can enjoy the sort of general gossipy nature of Scottish football and the the drama of it and still actually want to have, you know, a decent tactical insight, you know, into the, into how your team are playing or the team that, you know, you're going to face. Um, And I don't see that changing anytime soon because, you know, I think these papers, well, they might be a bit of a, a bit of a dying breed, you know, they still they still generate clicks and enough revenue and they have a, a formula that, you know, very much works for them. Um, but very rarely do I think it's, you know, to the benefit of the wider Scottish game or, the, you know, talks it up in any real way. Um, I think that's a, it's a real problem, a lack of, you know, inquisitiveness from, you know, general Scottish football journalists of things that they, they don't know and they don't try to understand it, they simply dismiss it. We've seen that over the years, whether it's certain foreign coaches coming in and being treated in, you know, with a bit of disdain or whatever, or um, you know, general, you know, reactions to 
things like that are fairly standardised in football, like expected goals. Um, there's no there's no thirst for knowledge or want want you know wanting to learn or improve your knowledge of the, the game. Um, and I think that's why you know Scottish fan media is, is flourishing to an extent because there's that whole swathe of coverage that you know just gets completely ignored by by the mainstream media. Um, and as much as you know you can dip in and out of it, and you don't need to obsess over it. Um, it's interesting, you know getting a different perspective on how to to view the game even if it does go out the window uh, in terms of your thoughts you know the second the second it kicks off absolutely absolutely smash them is usually get him smash him is usually what's uh, um going in my my thoughts especially in a derby um what's the first thought that goes into your mind when you think is it like kill the rangers player Aye, any any sort of rational, logical thought completely completely goes out the window. Um, I don't know how you do it as a as a fan, you know, to sit there and you know analyze it tactically or think thoughtfully um, about a game of football with that much tension and that much riding on it. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's very very difficult even for you know professionals to do it. Actually, I seen the other week that. Um, was it the Aston Villa Arsenal game? Uh, their two tactical analysts uh, ended up scrapping in the press <laughs> box, um, apparently. So it shows you even even Love the sort it. of professionals who are paid to do it uh, can fall foul of sort of passion and emotion at times. But you know, ultimately, that's that's why you love football. I, I guarantee you, ten minutes into the game tomorrow, um, when Celtic are playing out from the back, I will be in the back of my mind going, "Get the ball to launch fuck, it. launch it." Aye. Get it in the box for fuck's sake! Um, and I'm, by the way, I'm not even joking. I genuinely will. Um, just uh, can I finish it up on the news? Um, I should probably come clean about Simon Donnelly. Um, myself and Barry Gallagher were, were not not as big as fans, um, and he is someone that kind of gets trotted out for anyone. You know, he'll come out and kind of criticise Celtic, and then he'll be on Celtic TV next week. Um, he's got some quotes about um, Kyogo Furuhashi, um, and he uses phrases like. It's the same for the Rangers lads. Ugh. Um, uh, and it, yeah, it's just it's just a lot of Celtic are better than Rangers. Celtic have are, are in better form. Fuck up. Sorry. I, this is just a very. I just I'm not a fan of Simon Donnelly, and I think he gets trotted out. But you've got a nice wee story about Simon Donnelly, don't you? Why is it my Simon Donnelly was the first ever Celtic player autograph? I got a wee photo from the club shop that my dad managed to bumped into Simon Donnelly and get it signed for me. Uh, so I don't mind Simon Donnelly. He can chat all the shit he wants in the press. Yeah, he can, but also, nah, don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I've, I've, I've got, you know, un, unfinished business with Simon Donnelly. Now, I don't, that doesn't mean I'm going to go up to Crawford and fight him, but what it means is I'm just going to get annoyed when he's in the papers. But it's just, it's just he talks about, former, Simon, former Celtic striker Simon Donnelly believes Kyogo Furuhashi's fitness is a concern ahead of Sunday's League Cup final. Well, I mean, of course it is, but also he came on and he played 30 minutes in the game against Aberdeen. It's just, I don't know. Uh, and then uh, Graham Souness says something, but no one gives a fuck about Graham Souness because he's an absolute irrelevance. Um, but he, he, the, the fact that we're nine points clear apparently doesn't matter to anyone. The fact that we didn't form, does, it goes out the window for a cup final, which might be true to an extent, but also, should you not look at it and say, oh, these guys are really good? No? I think well, I get his point, and it's a, it's a cliche, you know, a derby mixed with a cup final, form goes out the window, blah, blah, both teams are in you know, fairly good form. Um, you know, I think if you dig a little bit deeper into Rangers form, there's been a lot of 
penalties and red cards and and so on that have slightly tipped the you know tipped the scales in certain games. But there's no doubt you know they're coming to you know with plenty of confidence, arguably too much confidence, which is fine. It suits me to be honest. Um, I I never like these games when we go into them too confident, and I always quite like it when they're sort of you know. You know, their tails are up and their bump their gums in the press. That generally is, you know, boded pretty well for us in um in the past. So these comments, you know, keep them coming. I'm I'm delighted with them. Uh because it's generally been a, a good form, formula for us um in the past. So no, I'm more than happy for Sunes and you know, and any other assortment of clowns to continue coming out with stuff that's okay with me. Uh, Graham Souness's uh, wife is a Roman Catholic and his children are Roman Catholics, yet he used to sing all the songs when he was at Ibrox. It's only banter. Ah, it's only banter, isn't it? Uh, great stuff, Callum. That's the that's the news. And uh, I, as we say, it's very... Yeah, they seem to be really confident. And um, as you say, ideal. Perfect. We'll just do our, we'll do our talking on the pitch. Um so we've got a press. We've got some press conference uh, content. Um, Ange had his press conference on. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, and Cal McGregor was yesterday. I've taken. I've listened to them through, and uh, some some of the questions are. There was a question to Ange: What would it mean winning the League Cup final to you? And he just looks and he goes, oh, "It'd be good." <laughs> and then there's another question. It was like Celtic are consistent in it, and he's like, "I." Look at the look at the like the book the form tape. The questions were unbelievable. There's nothing about you know, and I'm not saying all questions should be tactical or anything, but there's nothing about how are you going to set up or you know you've had issues here. What would you do to kind of counter that? There was nothing of any interest, um, but there was a couple of things that kind of actually are relevant. So uh, here's the Ange comments. The first one is about what the derby does to players um, when they're playing within the game. Here or across the world, talk about this, this derby. It's always about the passion and the fight. You know, yourself, Michael Wheeler, both coaches, that talk about systems and what with technical players. Have you found that compared to different derbies that it does stuff for the players mentally, or it's harder to implement your system for? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think yeah, you understand it. I mean, I yeah, well, I'm not. I'm I'm the manager of the football club. I'm not a fan, so I don't. I'm not. You know, the, our, our supporters don't expect me to have the same emotions that they do going to a big game like this. You know, they don't want me to be nervous and anxious or, or you know, angry or whatever it is that they feel at any particular time. They want me to be under control and make sure that I'm preparing the team well. And that's what they want from the team, and that's what we do. You know, and I think that's the way we've approached all our games. And and you know, understand, like I said, even the games of consequence, such as the final, um, we've tried to go out there and play our football, nothing really changes, you know. Like I said, the intensity will be up, the tempo will be up for sure, the atmosphere will be great, uh, all those kind of things and, you know, you're dealing with human beings, so, you know, so all the boys will, will have their emotions heightened but within that context, it's still got to play our football. I mean, ultimately, if we're going to be successful, that's that's what we need to do and, and you know, the players, as I said, you know, for a long time, they've been pretty good at, at just whatever challenges before us, making sure that the solutions they find within, you know, the football we play. Um, <clears throat> it's a pretty um, succinct answer from Ange, uh, and I think it's good the fact that he recognises that you know the fans are going to be one way, but you know they don't want me to be like that, and I think that's kind of very different from maybe managers we've had in the past, like Lennon and stuff, where you know it kind of comes across quite obviously how much he's impacted by the game and the atmosphere. And, and by the way, I'm not I'm not necessarily even necessarily saying that's a bad thing either. You know, different managers have different kind of ways of um, coping with it. 
is there anyone in this squad that you are worried about that it might be too much pressure? These guys have won, you know, lots of stuff over their careers. Some of them over the last couple of years have probably won more than, more than the last couple of years than they have in their entire career. But, you know, this is a this is a Glasgow Derby Cup final. It's not something you experience a lot. Is there, do you have any fears for anyone or what's your kind of thoughts? I mean, I think the one that initially springs to mind is probably Starfelt and to an extent Joe Hart. Uh, yeah. because you know I know Ange will talk about you know we continue to play our football and the the atmosphere and the tension shouldn't come into it too much which in an ideal ideal world absolutely but you do see in these games there's periods where teams get rattled and there's no other way to describe it and you know chances can come in a flurry um, you know we've seen it we've seen we've done it to them plenty of times uh, in recent history you know the 4-0 game earlier the season the 3-0 game where Abada goes in you know um, it was like that sort of one-two punch of you they're absolutely rattled and on the ropes and you can really sort of um <clears throat> you can you can really sort of punish teams in that in that period until they until they settle down again and you know very much I think at Ibrox the a real turning point aside from Greg Taylor going off was um was when Hart got caught a little bit playing out from the back and it just switches the the momentum and you know momentum such a weird thing within football you yeah know, it's completely intangible but it can completely swing a game and all, all it takes is a misplaced pass or um you know even a, a goalkeeper getting closed down um even if it doesn't result in anything it gives them it gives them a lift um so that's the that's my my main concern Starfelt particularly you know great defender of course. But you know, when he gets rattled, it can it can last. He doesn't seem to shake it as easily as you know other players necessarily do. Um, and I think they will come presses. Um, that's that's my that's my main fear that you know that nervousness manifests in, in the defence. Um, and the only way out of it is to continue to play through it, which is you know horrible to to yeah. watch. Don't imagine it's particularly pleasant for the the players either. Trying to stay calm in that environment, um, but that is literally what you what you need to do. So, I think that will be that will be a key part tomorrow. Part of me, you know, as much as I love this team and its fast starts and whatever, and I want to see us do that tomorrow. There's, I was thinking about it earlier, and there was something great about you know under Rogers when we used to go to Ibrox and we'd almost like kill the game with passes. Uh, and I think they will come out, you know, blood and thunder from the the first minute. And I think we've got, you know, the better technical players in midfield. You know, whether you start O'Reilly or, or Moy, that's up for debate. But I think if we can control that midfield and essentially, you know, kill them by playing, you know, continually keeping the ball off them and taking the sting out of the game a little bit, I think that's important because fundamentally, I think we're a better football team. And if you know it turns into a complete sort of chaos ball game. I think that suits them a little bit more or sort of evens it up a little bit. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, having that security and playing out from the back um, while not being too safe, which is, you know, a fine line to to balance, I guess. Um, but I think that's going to be really key tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, your points on Star... I'm, I'm, I'm a big Starfield fan, but I, I take those points, you know, I think you're you're making good points on that. I think it was, was it the League Cup final last year where he lost his yeah. head a little bit? Um, and he got it together and that was fine yeah shit I uh, hadn't really thought of that Callum thanks <laughs> but you, you know Starfelt equally you look back at the, the Ibrox game we won last year and he was you know a colossus in defence yeah. um, you don't necessarily know where his you know hairy moments are going to come um, so yeah hopefully tomorrow you know 
that's you know it's nothing we need to discuss after. Let, let um, me let me flip that question. What about them? They've got a couple of hotheads. You know, you get John Lundstrom, you've got uh, Morelos, you've got one or two others. We we heard from Scott Brown the other week about how he actively tried to wind them up to get a, a response from them. Do you think? think they'll be in the back of Callum McGregor's mind to kind of say one or two of them, you know, just, you know, just wind them up a little bit. I don't think we have the kind of players for that in our team, really. There's nobody that you'd immediately think of. Aye. I think Alistair Johnson's maybe as, as close as you'll get and him being so new into the team and the role, I don't think he's, you know, necessarily ready to take on that, that mantle or that responsibility yet, nor do I necessarily want him to. Um, you know, I think there are players on that side that can definitely be got at. Um, you know, Ryan Kent definitely a hothead, and if you you win your first two ta- few tackles against him and put him on the back foot a little bit, and things aren't going his way, he gets very very frustrated and tries things that you know are unlikely to come off quite often. I also think Barisic and, and Tavernier, they're two fullbacks that can get really really get rattled. Um, and I know Barisic has played himself into a bit of better form after um, Abada tore him a new one last year, but you know he still switches off at the at the back post. So whoever's playing on that right, I would assume it's maybe going to be Jota. Um, I really, really want to see him go at him uh, right from the first whistle because I think those are the as much as they're a, a real attacking threat for them. Uh, I think it's also the major weak points defensively. Yeah, I, I, I can agree more. I think you know you, you mentioned there about Barisic. He has hit. A bit of form, but form from where he was isn't necessarily, you know, it's kind of coming up from the bottom. So, yeah, great stuff. Um, here's a kind of question on atmosphere. As you look here in equal numbers, does that enhance the picture for you or are you oblivious to that? No, I think it does, yeah. I think, you know, it, it it's a different atmosphere. It's a real sort of, um, you know, if you want to call it a derby atmosphere. Obviously, you know, when you play, when we play Celtic Park or we play at Ibrox, the, you know, the atmosphere is is very parochial in one way and, and, you know, for the home team, that's, I think it's an advantage. Absolutely. Um, you know, we feel it when we play at Celtic Park, you know, having our supporters there, you know, um, 60,000 of them, I think helps us. But I think in terms of a spectacle and in terms of a derby, having it split, um, um, particularly in a, in a, in a cup final, I think adds to the theatre of it. I, I, I believe that. And I think, I think the players and, and everyone involved, enjoys that because you get a bit of bit of everything in there um obviously the only time we've played in this sort of uh atmosphere under Ange was the semi-final last year i don't want to i don't really want to go over old ground but um what do you think we'll learn from that what do you think he'll learn from that the players will learn from that atmosphere and the fact it was split 50 50 I think it's important, you know, the point I mentioned there about maintaining control. I think they lost control, especially when it went to extra time in that game. Um, I think it's about not getting frustrated. You know, I think there's a huge mitigating factor that gets forgotten in the, the refereeing performance that day. It was, yeah. was shocking and, you know, Bassey and Lundstrom should have probably been booked by half time. never mind it coming late in extra time or whenever it, the yellow card eventually uh, came. I think that's, you know, you can't ignore that context, but I think it is important to, you know, continue to just play play our game, um, not get swept up, swept up in the atmosphere um, or the niggly challenges that will undoubtedly go in, you know. I think Hitati's a big big player for us tomorrow because I think they'll target him. I think they'll, you know, 
they'll pull him and, and push him off the ball or, or you know hit him late or whatever anything to disrupt his rhythm because you know once he's in that rhythm and that flow you'd be like you know an incredibly difficult player to stop um i think that's you know really really key tomorrow you know generally you want the team to go out and play football but if if Hitati plays well and we win that midfield battle um and really really control the game um i struggle to see a way in which in which we don't don't win it barring you know a referee in disaster class or something yeah and we'll maybe touch on that um when we're looking at how we we're going to line up and stuff because that's genuinely what my, like my big fear I th- and i think I'm, i speak for a lot of us when i say that um the final quote uh, quote from Ange, uh, just about defending the trophy winning a trophy is an achievement but defending it shows staying power is that more important to you in some regard um well i mean it it depends on on sort of what context you're talking about i think in any given season like i said we you know we won we won this trophy obviously last year but it was to me the goal was to also be champion so yeah, it wasn't just about winning a trophy and then sort of resting on our laurels there. We we went on and, and you know, we won the championship and it'll be the same this year. It's not about, you know, just winning the trophy and thinking that, you know, the job's done this year. I think that you know, the the staying power you talk about is, is more about, you know, us as a football club and, and us as a football team, particularly this team, is that, you know, we want to be really um relentless in our approach of trying to win every football game we're involved in and every trophy we're involved in now you know that doesn't always happen but the intent's always going to be there we're never going to be you know I think we've shown that already within the context of just games in themselves but even in terms of a season we're never going to be a team or I'm certainly not going to have us be a team where winning something allows us some luxury that we don't have to go out and you know full pelt to try and win the next one. Uh, you know, he's, he's talking a lot of sense there, obviously, but uh, and we've talked about you know winning this trophy or, or losing this trophy isn't going to be the defining factor within the season. Um, but I mean, it could be a springboard to really kind of push ahead as well because if Celtic win this trophy, I really do think it does go a long way to kind of slaying their kind of because they'll think they you know if they they'll think there'll be a part of them that thinks that if they win this, that it'll be a springboard for them as well. It really is just about, I know we talked about this a little bit at the start, but it really is about just stopping them from getting any sort of momentum or oxygen or confidence from it, really, isn't it? Absolutely. It's the it's the psychological aspect of, you know, God forbid we lose, but then, you know, then you start to begin to maybe question Ange away from Celtic Park against them. Yeah. Um, results would have been a bit mixed bag. Um, you know, I think there's a there's a lot of context for you know results in those kind of games so far. And games at, at Hamden where we've not had a full strength side necessarily, or the pitch has been terrible and it's been chucking it down, um, and all those mitigating factors that you can kind of give a pass for because we've generally um, done fairly well under Ange, you know, in these big big domestic games. Um, you know, I think if we lose, there is a wee bit of doubt that begins to begins to creep in and you don't want to allow for that because you know I have no doubt that we are the the better team. Um but you know it's about maintaining that psychological edge and maintaining that thing of you know that winning mentality which you know can carry you a long way in, in football and that you can sort of you know at really really difficult tough moments that you can sort of draw on uh, and that past experience that almost sort of muscle memory of of how to win. 
Uh, and that for me and you know the past six seven years of, of being a Celtic supporter has been such a, a fundamental aspect of you know our success you know even when the chips have been down and we've not necessarily been playing well um, that muscle memory of winning and it's you know very much about you know continuing that um, because it does it sets you up much better for the for the future and equally on the on the other side you're not wanting to give them you know a chance to develop that you know anything resembling a, a winning mentality you know I've got no problem if they want to go on domestic runs in the league and you know rack up points but you know when it comes to these big games it's it's our opportunity to show that we are head and shoulders above them and basically extinguish any hope that they might have absolutely great points Callum really really good um let's go to Callum the other Callum Callum go not Callum Gordon that's you Callum McGregor uh the Celtic imagine you were the Celtic captain I'd be I'd be a bit worried for Sunday actually <laughs> Holy shit. What are you doing in Sat Berlin? In the dressing room with my head in my hand and shit myself. Yeah, exactly. Fucking hell. Getting a, go and get a fucking plane home. Jesus Christ. Where are you? I'm in Berlin. Okay, here we go. John, how do you deal with the sort of ebb and flow of these games? How do you manage to, to keep yourself focused on things, even if moments in the game go against you? Uh, I think it's just about trying to stay calm and, and stay focused on the game plan that we obviously try and bring to the game. Um, of course there'll always be moments within any game that, that don't go your way and you know it's just important to react in the right way um, you know if, say someone gives the ball away it's it's important that we our first reaction is to try and win it back um, good shape behind the ball so you know there's always going to be moments that go against you obviously we, we go down 2-1 in, in the last game but we managed to find a way back into the game so it's it's just sticking to your principles and, and what gets you success I prefer, I prefer to whenever I'm playing five sides I prefer to blame the guy who's given the ball away quicker like that's my first sort of for fuck's sake so i'll be doing i'll be doing a lot of that tomorrow don't you worry oh i absolutely terrific taylor even though he didn't give the ball away uh or you know just picking on players do that a lot um but no um he, he speaks very well callum he sounds kind of focused and he comes across really well as a captain don't you think absolutely he's the you know I think I had, had a lot, same as a lot of Celtic fans, had a lot of questions about whether he could step up and be captain because there was no doubt he was a talented player. But that, um, you know, 10 season, he had a, he had a real shocker. There's no no denying it. Um, but he's really taken on the captaincy and made it his own and done it in his own way. Um, he's not tried to replicate what Scott Brown did. But you hear him speaking there and, you know, I very much feel like he's the one who reinforces Angie's messages continually in that yeah. dressing room. You know, I know Angie said in the past that he doesn't go in there and that's Callum's domain. Um, you know, he brings a calmness to it. You know, there's a clarity of thought and purpose and uh, how he wants to sort of approach a game of football that I think very much aligns with, with Angie. And, you know, that is something that you can, um, you know, fall back on it in, in sort of difficult times and difficult periods and games. Um, so, you know, He's not the archetypal captain that we would think to that you would maybe get in the sort of 90s or early 2000s, but he very much leads by example and he plays the way that Ange wants all his players to to play. And, you know, I definitely think that feeds into a general sort of calmness and assuredness that sort of runs throughout the side when Celtic are at their best. Um, Not to be harsh, but do we need a big... Do we drew a big performance from Callum McGregor against Rangers? I think he's had... I think he's had, you know, definitely 
moments. Um, you know, there was a, a few you know, glasses and there was definitely a couple of massive, massive performances. Um, but I think it's difficult because I think, you know, any opposing manager, but you know, particularly in these games, they recognise the the benefit and the very subtle benefit that Callum McGregor bring, brings to this Celtic side and, you know, do everything that they can to try and stop it. Um you know, cliche, but I think it's a team effort tomorrow. I think Cal McGregor will be man marked. I think he'll do his best to impact the game, but it's ultimately on those other two midfielders that if he has been man marked, that means there's space somewhere else for somebody to drop in and pick it up and help build the play. Um, you know, for me, I think that's why Moy maybe edges it ahead of O'Reilly. Um, I'm not necessarily too fussed about which one of them starts because I thought, you know, O'Reilly looked sort of back to his best last week against Aberdeen. Um, but, you know, Callum McGregor, it would be, it'd be great if he could run the game and have, have a big performance. But I think they'll make it very, very difficult for him to do that. Um, but it, like I said, it leaves gaps and space to exploit. Um, and it's up to us to have the two other midfielders, Hattati and one other, uh, to be brave enough to receive the ball in tight areas and, and play through them. Absolutely. Um, here's the next quote. It's about uh, his week as captain. Well, the manager was saying he's not kidding the players on that it's just like any other week because it's not. So give us a flavour of what this week is like for the captain of Celtic in terms of, I mean, your phone's probably going non-stop, but just in terms of how you personally embrace this cup build-up and what you personally like and look forward to most about the whole thing. Yeah, of course, you know, everybody knows it's a big game, a game of consequence and I've always said this, as a football player, you want to be involved in, in big games and in, in games of consequence where things are on the line. So that's what excites you as a player. Um, obviously, you know what's coming at the end of the week, but I believe that you need to have a process. You have to trust your process and, and what gets you success and, and what's had success over recent times. Then I think it's important that you stick to that. Um, you have experience through the good times and the bad times. And then, like I said, when the, the occasion comes and the game starts, you know there's, you know the game's there to be played and, and that's what happens. The game kicks off and you have to go. So in terms of preparation, of course, you're excited, you're looking forward to the game, but you know you have to stick to a process throughout the week. Sorry for exposing everyone's ears to Kennedy Nitsan, um, who might well be one of the worst reporters of uh, sport I've ever had the pleasure. Just sport in general. Just sport in general, yeah. God, I've never known someone... I, I, I've been in a, a press conference with him and I've just never seen someone so uninterested uh, in the kind of subjects that are in front of him. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's a kind of fairly... You know, the question wasn't of great value, really. But he did use the phrase, a game of consequence, which I quite like. It sounds like, you know, Star Wars 9, a game of consequence. You know, it sounds quite cool. It sounds like a game that Paul Carlin would come up with for, like, <laughs> one of those Sunday podcasts when it's during an international break uh, that are usually very much enjoyable. Um, but I know he says what you expect him to say. He's not giving too much away there. Um, I thought it was interesting the the other week, you know, leading up to I think it was actually the St Mirren Cup game, and Andrew mentioned, you know, um, that they'd been working the week and been dealt with, being pressed, and you know didn't necessarily deal with it brilliantly in that St Mirren game. But I thought it was interesting the the idea that it's not just about you know this week of build up and a you know a mad dash to you know fix any holes in the team and so on that they've been thinking about this potentially for a few weeks now and you yeah. know, certainly introducing that into training um and you know you know recreating those situations uh that you're likely going to face in in, the, in these sorts of games because you know 
I think it probably can become quite repetitive for the players setting up again, you know, you know, facing similar setups each week. And I think that, you know, as a wider point is when when we do face a high press, it's why we can struggle with it a bit because we're not used to it. Um, I'm sure if we were, you know, facing that week in, week out, we'd become quite adept at playing out of it. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of the preparation will, you know, have been done in the weeks of advance, you know, leading up to this. Um, and, for, and for now, you know, at this point now, it's just about going and getting the job done. Yes, absolutely. Um, we've got the final, um, <clears throat> excuse me, final press conference clip, and then we will go into opposition analysis. Uh, and this is this is the question about, about what it was about, Michael Beale. Here we go. Now, what did you learn, you know, as a as a team, as a squad, from playing against Michael Beale's Rangers for the first time back in January? Did, did it seem different? Is it there things you can take from that game as well? Um, yeah, of course. We'll 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 look at the game. We'll analyse the game as we have done, as we do against everybody. Um, you know, in terms of the way they defended, they, they tried a couple of different um, systems to defend against us. Obviously, we started the game really well. They then had to change system. They then changed again in the second half. Um, so obviously, we we sort of wait to see what they'll do um, out of possession. But you know, we'll we'll look at the game. We'll look at where we think we can hurt them, and then obviously, we look at where we think they are strong and and what we need to do to stop them as well. So. You know, it's the same. It's the same preparation for every game. We we do that for everybody. Um, and then, like I say, we come the game, we have to find the solution on the pitch um, within the ninety minutes or longer, if need be. It was quite pretty, quite pretty interesting. The fact they were saying, like, uh, obviously they set up a little bit differently, and you know they changed formation and kind of tactics throughout the game. And we have to wait and see what they're going to do. Um, and I'm sure they'll obviously have run through scenarios and stuff. But I actually thought that. Gave a little bit, a little bit more insight than, than usual with that question. Uh, it's interesting, you know, that you have this school of managers that are, are very, very system based and they adhere to a system. And as much as Ange has that, he always puts an emphasis on the players being able to find the solutions themselves on yeah. uh, on the part, which you know, good players can do. You know, you look at you know, perfect example is Real Madrid midweek. You know they don't play with any sort of real discernible system, but they have the quality of players to go find solutions to whatever problem that they're, they're, they're going. You know that they're being faced with. And that's because they're elite talents. You know this is on a slightly lesser level, but you know I think there's you know within that structure that Anne sets up sets up. Um, it is really down to the players to go in, to go and find solutions. Um, you know, I think it can be quite easy to reduce a game to sort of a tactics board or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but there's you know there's so many sort of minute details that make up a game of football and that can be exploited. Uh, very subtle things that you know you or I might not even notice while watching the game, but which can really you know really really impact it. So um, it's interesting. It's interesting to get that you know insight. It's you know. I guess nice and reassuring to hear him recognise the sort of their change of defensive setups and whatever because his sort of Andrew's leading on the park. He wants somebody who's you know tactically aware and you know able to sort of relay messages and for us to be sort of agile and flexible uh, for whatever challenge we're faced with. But you know the the noises coming from from Andrew and. and Callum McGregor have definitely been you know, pretty reassuring this week. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Um, having listened to them talk and kind of how they're speaking and confidence lined with kind of you know you know undervalues of kind of respect and stuff. So um, we shouldn't have respect for them. But great stuff. We'll go on to let's go to the opposition analysis. <laughs> Joining us now for some 
opposition analysis uh, from heart and hand. It's uh, Chris. Yeah, I'm joking, of course. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Uh, just Crawford. Okay. Hello. Hello. Crawford, Crawford, McCrawford. Uh, it's Christian Wolf. I've just said that as he's taking a sip of his tea. That was bad timing on my point. Hello, Christian. How my are Celtic mug tea. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> you see, I, I know how you are because you seem nervous. I so. am. I, I really am. Um, not nervous because I think they're better than us. Not nervous because, because you're a shitbag. Oh, no. shit I mean, I am a massive shitbag. Just there's yeah. a lot of uh, Rangers in a cup final is just. Yeah, I've been here before, and it's 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 not been great. Anyway, but uh, let's be positive. Um, let's kind of be analytical, and let's look at what we've got. Yes. Um, to quote the great uh, Dwayne Hicks from Aliens, what exactly are we dealing with here? Mm. Yes, yes, something weird. Um, um, I almost did a midweek <laughs> midweek bounce thing there, which I enjoy uh, a lot. The midweek bounce. Um, what different kind of pod? Yes, I'm nervous as well, as you can say. I think what Celting is going to be dealing with, it's, got, it's not going to be any surprises. I think that's that's the overall message in terms of what they faced in January, what they faced before in this team under Gerard slash Beal, and what they're going to face now. I, don't, I think you kind of know what's going to be happening. Yeah. Um, I think the challenge is how you execute that against that on the day and yeah, how they execute it as well. Some of the choices they do, we'll get into that. But yeah, absolutely no surprises. You know what you're going to be up against. Uh, see, before we, you know, playing out from back, right, is the thing that we've been highlighting for the last, you know, two years since Ange came in and, yeah, and absolutely. But we know exactly who's going to play. It's going to be Starfield. It's going to be Hart, and it's going to be CCV. And yeah. Postacoglu is obviously a master ta- ta- a tactician, and he knows exactly how Rangers are going to play. So, like you know, we talked about it in the agenda. I thought there was some good debate there, and you know, we've talked about it. You know, you and Chris um, Graham obviously talked about it on on the review quite a bit as well, obviously, because that's probably the main point of contention in regards to Celtic overall, I guess. Um what's Ange going to do differently? Like what because as I say, he knows. So is there anything that he's going to do differently or will it be a case of just do what you're doing and hope it works? I can't imagine he would be like hope it works. Do you know what I mean? No. I mean it, it has worked yeah. a time against Rangers. And sometimes it, it has come a little bit unstuck. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that sometimes these things just kind of, even though no matter how analytical we want to be, like small things can change football games. But in terms of being able to implement what you want to do, and it can be personal it, personalities, it can be like on the individual level, it can be certain events in the game that happen. And, and I think... In the New Year's game, I think it's going to be relevant. We're going to like, like, kind of drag it out a little bit and, and have a look at it. Is Celtic actually starts to get really well, but it's not just because oh, it's a good start. We don't know how that happened. We can pretty much you quite easily see what happened. The Celtic did well at the start of that game because Rangers set up a certain way, 
And then some Celtic players found a solution to that and started executing that over the first 20, 25 minutes. And I, I know I do a little bit of a Greg Taylor thing every time, but that was a big miss. A lot to do with what, because what he was doing in those first 20, 25 minutes, I think the team, like, especially through him, kind of found a way through that range's press and they reacted to it and found a way. But then we went off, maybe a couple with the Joe Harting and so on. He's kind of, kind of lost a bit of momentum and yeah. some of the things that were working well the first 20 minutes couldn't be replicated really with Juranovic now. And, and that's sometimes in these games, that's all it takes. Is, is it against, you know, St. Mary's and Johnson or something? It's fine. You'll find another way. But I think with these games, Celtic, they know the way and I think they know the path, but it's a lot more difficult to execute it. And it's kind of like, I always feel like it's kind of, it hangs more on very small things and certain kind of events in games that can have, a, have an impact because. Yeah, there's not a lot of kind of you're walking a tightrope, Christopher. Essentially, what I'm saying here. So you don't want to fall down. You don't want to fall down. Uh, you don't want to be made to look like a clown, which is also wow. nice. Um, see, in regards to, I know, I know we we, we had this have we have touched that you, you and Graham did the review for the Rangers game uh, previously, and we also talked about this in the preview. But even just as a kind of refresher, what's Michael Beale doing differently from Van Bronckhurst? Is there a lot? I think, I guess if Beal is a lot, I think there's two things. I think that's a lot of the same things, right? But there's yeah. two things with Beal that he really, <laughs> I was going to say, enjoy. He likes to pack out at the middle of the pitch in, in a lot more sense. And one example is how he uses, for example, Ryan Kent and the other, usually somebody like Sakala on the other side. Doesn't use them as wingers as such, even though they kind of nominally start as wingers. They they drop into the middle of the pitch. And instead of maybe having three lines of, of players like defensive line, midfield line, and a forward line, in ranges on the bill is very much to have four lines. So they have of, of two players in each. So they have the center backs, they have the two deeper midfielders, and then they have Kent and one of the other three midfielders pushing up kind of two number 10 rows almost. And then you have essentially two strikers in there. So it's a lot about packing out the middle of the pitch. And then not uh, the playing out stuff for Racious is interesting because it's not that much about trying to play out from the back, although we get back to that. It's a lot to do with like going direct uh, quickly but getting the ball up into a situation where they can win the ball back high up on the pitch. And in a little way, it's, it's kind of like a little bit of Red Bullish, like in terms of they want to go up the pitch quickly, but you'll have lots of people in the middle of the pitch staggered. So then you'll be able to essentially, if you don't win, you get the ball into the team. If they lose the ball, that's fine because they can counter press and create something from there. So, um, so I think there's those two things, pack out the center and like fast direct balls. Uh, I guess especially against opponents like Celtic. Yeah. Um I mean how I, f- I don't want to say how effective is that going to be to us, but against us, but we have seen that 
when you play that sort of when they play that sort of formation who what's the key areas for us where we have to be strong i'm guessing fullback just from how you're talking and obviously as you said greg taylor has been in incredible form johnson's just new but he had a good debut against them ibrooks are those two players the key players or is there other areas that they'll be kind of targeting in a way so i think we could if you look at what wenches then we'll be trying to do out of possession. Now, it's, yes, it's, I think in a case the, the fullbacks will, will play a, a pivotal role here as well. But so since the last derby, I've watched you know quite a bit of their games against Aberdeen, against Thistle, against Livingston, and <laughs> um, against Hearts as well. So. But, but the problem with kind of watching those games is that you, you get a very you don't get much of a sense of how Rangers will set up against a team who wants to try try and play out from the back, right? Yeah. Um, now, but the Hearts game was actually a bit more useful because they actually tried to play out quite a bit on the back. It's interesting how at first what I think is how how much teams actually manage to play out when they do try to play out against Rangers. That they manage to move the play into a position where the Rangers defense have to move around. And where I think a better team can take advantage of doing that. Because I think this will be the toughest press that Rangers uh, Celtic face in the league. But it's not like it's in, in, you know, you can break through this press. But I think most teams in the league wouldn't have the capacity to, to do that. But I think, as I said, like to start. I'm fairly certain what you can expect of Rangers out of possession. So when Celtics got the ball and they're trying to play out. So you'll they'll line up in like a four, three, one, two, right? So you have Morelos and Sakala, because I think I'm pretty sure no, they'll start on top, and then you'll have Kent sitting behind them to kind of control McGregor. And then you'll have Rangers not to number eight. So who knows who's going to be, say it's maybe Tillman and Kamara. They'll normally be on, on Celtics number eights, um, you know, Hatate and O'Reilly or Aaron Moy. And, and then the other part of that is that Rangers will then have a, a spare, like the deep pivot in that tree will be kind of a spare. And like in the last game, that was Lundstrom. It might be Lundstrom, it might be Raskin in, in this game. And then the Rangers fullbacks, will control Celtics wingers, but they can jump up on the Celtics fullbacks if, you know, and then one of the centre-backs or the fullbacks picking up the Celtic wingers. So I'm almost entirely certain, and this is what happened in, in the last game as well. And again, it points to that kind of, it's, it's in line with Beale's kind of, he, he wants to pack out the middle of the pitch. So he's got two, one, three, you know, it's all about protecting that space. And sometimes, but it's not, I, I think kind of what better teams or better pressing and defensive blocks, they always, they will have an element of there is flexibility within that. So it's, what I've said there is like the starting positions, what we look at. But in a good press, you want to rely more on the decision-making required by the players, depending on the situation, so they can react to the situation. And, and many teams in Scotland will just give the players simple instructions. So you follow that guy, you know, but because 
this makes them sound really stupid, but if if you try to give them more complex instructions and more to interacting in game, it's it's more difficult to yeah. you know remember and do them. So so Rangers has an inbuilt flexibility, I think, within their system as well, and that's things you can look out for is see facility go down the right hand side, especially if they're switching from the left to playing from the back. Kent would maybe often jump on the BCCV or Alistair Johnston, but also at the same time blocking a pressing uh, passing lane to McGregor. So he won't just sit next to McGregor all the time. In certain situations, he'll jump away from McGregor to press somebody, but he'll try to block that passing lane as well. After Hearts, after they've been 2-0 up against Hearts, they just went with a 4-3-3, and Kent was just on the left-hand side of, of, of the press, whereas he had been in the middle until then. And then the other flexibility is like who pressures the fullback, and we'll get back to this um, in terms of what worked last time. If safe the ball got to Greg Taylor, and this happened in the Hearts game as, as well when they, the ball went back out to the left back, it could be Sakala who jumps out on them. It could be the kind of right-sided number eight arranger, so Tillman can be jump out. In certain situations, it would be Tavernier who jumps all the way up. So there is a kind of uh, an understanding of if the ball goes out to the left back, it's not just one person who's always jumps on them. You know, there's they kind of read the situation within it. And then the other part of that, and I've I've sent you a little graph with this as well, is see if the ball goes out to Greg Taylor. See if Tillman is the one who jumps out on Greg Taylor. You then have Lundstrom, who's not really marking anybody. He would be the one who jumps on, on Ria Hotate. And, and so on. So you, you kind of have that free player in the middle reacting to the other one. So as I said, why Ranch is set up like this? Bill wants to crowd out that central space. That's the most important thing to protect over the wing. So when you see Celtic play out, look out for Kentel McGregor, who's jumping out on the fullbacks. And if the ball goes out to the fullbacks, Who's jumping out to them? And then what happens behind that? What's happened to, if it's Lundstrom or Raskin, what do they do? Who do they pick up? And it's, I think it's those kind of moments that Celtic can really exploit this because that is the difficult difficult part in that kind of press. Um, yeah, I mean, do you know the question we're always asked? And we've been asked it pretty much, I don't know, we, we get it with every time we ask for questions and we appreciate all the questions that we're given, even if you are kind of, you know, Sending from, send from this, Chicago, yeah, Jesus. Um, uh, sending the same questions in because we, I get the relevance. It's the whole idea of Callum McGregor, the marking of the six. Is there anything else that we can do differently from what you've kind of just described? Well, I, I think if if you go back and you look at what happened in the first twenty minutes in that first game, and I've sent you some screenshots as well because I'll send, what I've, we'll send these. Uh, we'll send these yeah, screenshots out to everyone. That's, that's good. Yeah. And I think what happens in those first 20 minutes is you get exactly that. Rangers go very heavily on covering up in the central spaces and especially on Callum McGregor. And there's not really much space for the fullbacks to invert because Celtics, you know, the, the Rangers is really packing that central side out. So I've sent to the shot map, of, um, the pass map of where Greg Teller and Alistair Johnston received passes in the first 20 minutes of that game. And they're really different. So for Alistair Johnston received passes from Starfield to CCV really far down on his side, right? And then his passes again, they kind of go back. They, 
you know, the, <laughs> it's not creating much. Whereas Greg Taylor receives seven, eight, nine passes right up at the, you know, the midway line, right out on his, on the left-hand side. And you can see he, that was Celtic kind of reacting to Rangers really packing out the middle of the, of the pitch. So the balls went up to Greg Taylor. And again and again in those first 20 minutes, Greg Taylor was able to find players beyond Rangers midfield tree. He was getting, Celtic was essentially playing around the block rather than trying to play through through Cal McGregor. Ball went up to Greg Taylor quite wide. And he was able to find players in, in Celtic players in Rangers half. And, and they did that in, in a lot of different ways, you know, and, and you know, we could send out some of those, those screenshots as well. Sometimes Rangers would get too central, Greg Taylor would have space. But then what would happen, that, then that kind of domino effect happens because it's not just Greg Taylor being Greg Taylor and finding his passes. Then Rio Hatati would do that movement. If somebody tries to jump out with Taylor, there's a couple of seconds where we had to get, we had to can find space because if Tillman jumps up, it's just Lundstrom, Lundstrom taking him. Um, and then, you know, what also would happen, Matt O'Reilly would come on from the right-hand side and become a passing option for Greg Taylor. And he would also be able to find players like down the left-hand side, you know, Maeda would come over, uh, O'Reilly would come, they would have this nice combination between Tyler, Hatate. Tyler, Taylor, Hatate, Maeda, and, and O'Reilly down that side. So that was something reacting to Rangers packing out the middle, packing out Callum McGregor, hitting Greg Taylor, having that all that really good movement in front of him from Hatate, from O'Reilly, from Maeda, dragging Rangers midfielders, you know, uh, out of their line, out of their position, getting some of the defenders up and jumping on them and stuff on. So for 20 minutes, it worked really well. And then Greg Taylor gets injured, and then obviously Juranovic comes on. And I sent you the, the kind of the pass map after Taylor goes off. There's none of those passes. You know, Alistair Johnston, you know, he didn't mean maybe have the movement in front of him. Maybe he was his first game. It's his eyebrows. He went back a lot. Juranovic just, he just couldn't hit the pass, you know, and he's, he, he, none of them were able to recreate, you know, finding, helping Celtic play around that thick central block from Rangers. And that's why I said about things can happen in those kind of games. Cause I think if Greg Taylor had been on the page, page, you still, you keep those movements of rotation. You'll keep, you keep creating that. But so is that, can I jump? You just have to react to what's happened. What happens on the pitch really? Yeah. Yeah. I, everything you're saying is a technical term essentially for what we, I think, you know, as fans, we saw we saw Greg Taylor go off, and we kind of folded a little bit, right? Is that a worry though? The fact that one player goes off, and you know, and I know he's in, a, I know he's, a, I know he's a he's a key player for us, and he's in a key position. But it does worry me that if if you know something happens to Taylor, that him going off disrupts the whole thing. Maybe that was just a one off. I get that. Maybe maybe they've worked on that since, but. Is that, not but, a bit of, is that not a bit of a worry? But uh, yes, but I also think it's a consequence of them. He is the only kind of release point in a way in that back five. If there's not much space there, because Starfield and CCV isn't going to do any extraordinary with with the ball, I think Alistair Johnson's not 
I think it's growing into it, but it's not quite there either in terms of that. And then if you're able to crowd out Cal McGregor, it it's just an uh, how do you move the ball up to, to Hatati and you know or, or be a rider or Moy in ranges half through that block, right? So it I mean it's just so it, it even if Greg Taylor has to go off, it, it shouldn't be to be all and end all, right? But it does put a bit more onus on especially that kind of movement. And then I think also like the, the bravery on the ball yeah. and trying to play draw press because it's not a Leipzig press, right? It's not. <laughs> you can play the ball on to Cal McGregor, even though he's got Ryan Kent right at the back of him. If you play the passes fast enough and confidently enough, you know, you can pick that Rangers team apart even without Greg Taylor. Even with that Greg Taylor, but even with having that kind of that outlet on the side or him coming in, it's just it's, it's quite simply it's more difficult and it's playing into I guess Celtic's weaknesses because if they do get pressured, centre backs and goalkeeper has a tendency to kind of go safe. But I don't think they make lots of mistakes. It's more they go safe and they go long, which essentially is what this is what Rangers want. Right, so there's so, so there's also things Celtic can do to beat this press. Like there's, as we talked about, there's those early balls to the fullbacks. So, so if you're watching this on Sunday, if, I mean, you might be half drunk. You're not even thinking about the tactics, right? But for the first five minutes, anyway, Celtic's got the ball. They're trying to play it. What are they trying to do? So you can you can do those early balls to the fullbacks to Taylor and Johnson, and then you need that movement around them from Atate, from Kyogo, and so on. So that because you want that movement, because the Rangers have to decide what did we do? Okay, who took that man? Force them to make decisions all the time. Then you also think about does what happens, you know, does if it's Lundstrom Raskin, do they pick up the free Celtic midfielder if they press on the wide back? Can you tempt the Rangers fullbacks up, up until Taylor and Johnston? Because if you do, then you have space behind the fullbacks as well. And the other thing that really didn't happen at Ibrox would have been interesting to see if this happened when if Taylor hadn't gone off. It's just space for the fullback to come behind the range of strikers. You know, able to create that movement of if they come in a bit, suddenly got two against one for a few seconds on that side. I think the other thing you know, look at in ranges is half, Connor Goldson, right? Connor Goldson is always been liable to be tempted out of the back line. He turns like an oil tanker once he does that. Yeah. So try, if you can try and get Tavernier or Barisic high up, especially Tavernier, Celtics number eight, if they can get into that space uh, behind the midfield tree, if you can trigger a jump from Goldson to jump out, oh, there'll be space behind them. So hey, essentially you, move, you need to move that central block. You have the two strikers, you got Kent, you got the tree field. You have to move them around enough and take advantage of the space when the Osana opens up. So that is movement first and then the actual incisive passing after. Um, in regards to, obviously, Rio Hatati is in magnificent form. Uh, we don't know whether it's going to be Moy or O'Reilly, but let's say it's O'Reilly. Let's say it's um, Hatati and O'Reilly and McGregor. Um, how do you think they'll counter Hatati? Because we know how good he is. We know how good O'Reilly was. You know, I mentioned on the weekly that we should play the hot hand, which is O'Reilly and Hitati, and I think he probably will. How how do you think they'll look at him and say, this is how we're going to try and counter him? Is it just foul him? 
I mean, I, I know that's tiny bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if he gets on the ball, yeah. But I think a lot of this is about trying to not, trying to not let Riyad Tati get into those spaces and receive the balls, especially the three balls, especially in their half. Because when we, the, the other thing, I think it's all interrelated. So we talked about a lot about like the Rangers high press, for example, right? And how the Celtics fullbacks and goalkeepers cope with that. Because when we're talking about it, we want to sell the goalkeeper and fullbacks, centre-backs, to move the ball up to Rio Tate, to Matt O'Reilly, so they can send Mayeda, Jota, and Kyogo, you know, on a run or into space. But if Rangers press high, why do they do that? It's not... The, the reason why Rangers are really aggressive is they want to press high, the centre-backs and keeper high. It's not so much they want to try and win the ball or just score from one of those. I'd probably enjoy. They would probably enjoy that, but that's not the first thing for me. Is they want Celtic to go long, and they want them to go long centrally and force them to go long, because if they go long, they'll have players stacked up there, and they can win the ball and they can counter straight away. Straight away, the Celtic is not fully organized. So for me, it's more about it's not about one player, Hatati O'Reilly. If they can create a. a a situation with if they press Celtic centre backs feel, feel the need to go long, or I have to go wide and go up. They want to create a situation where, where they win the ball back and Celtic is not able to move it into Rio Tate or Matt O'Reilly. So so I think it's all it's all interconnected, you know, in, in terms of that. And they want to force like a game state where Rio Tate keeps just he needs to run back and forth, back and forth, and he's not being put in those dangerous situations. And, uh, you know, just creating chaos really. Um, in regard, okay, we've talked about the press, which I think honestly is the the thing on everyone's mind in regards to Sunday. But what other attributes of the court that we should be worried about? So, I think with the press, you know, what they want to do, they want to protect centrally. They want Celtic to go long because they are set up to then attack with that. Interesting thing with Rangers is when they're in possession. Like, because when they're out of possession, no matter who's going to play, you expect that press and that block to be the same, like we talked about. But in possession, you do wonder if who they pick will maybe, it'll be a little bit affected by what to do in possession. Because um, the goalkeeper in the back four are certain. I think the front three is certain in Kent Morales and Sakala. And then it kind of comes back down to who's injured and who do you want to play? Because I think you have Tillman, Lundstrom, and Jack is supposedly all doubts. You've got Raskin and Cantwell, and Kamara has been playing around. So I think you'll see you get either Raskin or Lundstrom deep. And that's two very different players, right? So Raskin is, is I think he's an interesting player. He's, he's a lot more ball seeking. He, he looks more comfortable, at least, at receiving the ball. He's a bit. Chaotic, right? He is. He seems like you wind him up and he just runs around. Um, but so he moves up and down a lot. He's looking for the ball, and he tries some passes that doesn't come off. But I think he would allow Rangers to play a bit more out from the back, right? If they feel there are situations to do that, and then you're probably going to have one of Tillman or Cantwell, which is like the more attacking midfielder. And then you probably got Kamara or Jack. So we wouldn't be surprised to say if, if it's Raskin, Kamara and, and Tillman, 
Tillman would be the one linking up with Kent in that line behind the strikers, and then Kamara and then Raskin will sit deep and so on. So <laughs> because <laughs> the team with range is like we talked about them being like a bit red bully, red bullish in terms of going direct solo. So like in the last game, like it was it was a bit bad, right? The goalkeepers and centre backs had a hundred passes combined. And 28 of them alone. So 28% of all their passes like, were long. Celtic centre-backs and goalkeepers in the last derby had 200 passes, so it's twice as many. And only nine of them were long. So, so 28% of all the passes by the centre-backs and the goalkeepers from Rangers were long. 4.5% of the centre-back and goalkeepers' passes for Celtic were long. So you go, okay, well, this is this is Rangers' style, right? Against Celtic, so that's what I do. So, so I went back and had a look at the last seven games, just in terms of how many passes do each team do in these games that are, that are classified as long passes, right? Because and th- th- their schedule has been pretty similar. And out of Rangers' passes over the last seven games, has. <laughs> Almost 6% of all their passes have been long, with less than 2% of, of Celtic's passes have been long. But if you go and look at the centre-backs and goalkeepers again, again, it's like Rangers 7% of their centre-backs and goalkeepers' passes are long, and Celtic is 2%. So it's not, well, they do the long balls to a bigger degree against Celtic. If you watch them against Livingston, Aberdeen, stuff, they often just take two, three passes at the back and and go long. Like it is it's a deliberate tactic of them doing that, of like just again, getting the ball up high, creating those situations where either they get the ball, like you hit Sakala in the in the channel, you hit Morelos, or you hit Kent, or so on, or they get the ball straight away, or you put the opposition in a position that if they lose the ball high up, they create from that. So this is a it is a really a lot more direct team. And people often, you know, especially in Scott will say, oh, it's Rangers or Celtic. You know, it's just, you know it's, you're going to play the same way against them. But these two teams play very differently. Yeah. Like, yeah. just because Rangers have the ball a lot domestically as well, they do play a very different type of football than, than Celtic do, even against teams that are, you know, not as good as them. Um, have we got some stats to round off? Um, we've got stats. Um, <laughs> of course. Um so uh, we can come back to what I think Celtic should do at the end, but let's bring some stats in. Um, this is, I don't know if you've heard this. this has been a lot of talk about whether, uh, you know, after the World Cup, is, is, is Beal and Ange just as good? What, what do you think, Christoph? Who do you think they're just as good? I, funnily yeah. enough, I think that um, Ange Postacoglu is better and Celtic are better than Beal yes. and Rangers. Well, I will tell you, in the 11 domestic games... Uh, well, there are just domestic games after the World Cup. Of course, one ten draw one each. Um, XG difference, even even with the penalties. Uh, it, actually, if you strip the penalties, I have to say more. But yeah. uh, uh, Celtic's XG is 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 four XG uh, better in terms of XG difference. Um, if you look at you know expected points um, and so on. Celtic slightly ahead uh, on that as well, but I do think if even if you just look at the XG 
pre and post bill, right? And in, in terms for, for Rangers. So for the World Cup, Rangers on average had 2.6 XG per game created and 0.8 conceded. If you strip away the penalties, 2.4. Uh, four. Uh, XG against doesn't change because they don't get penalties. But after Beal, they had... So, sorry. With Beal, they had 2.6 and 0.8 conceded. Before Beal, they had 2.5 and 0.8 conceded. So, there's no difference in the underlying stats before and after Beal, right? The only thing is, and in terms of you know, their expected points per game as well. It's very little difference between that. So I think what's essentially happened is that they've been, the results have been better, but their underlying performances overall are the same. Yeah. Right. And I think and Celtics the same as well. I think they're, they're pretty even in what they've done before and after the break. Results-wise, yeah, and and underlying performance-wise, so there's there's nothing in the stats that says there's a huge uptick over Rangers, or these results are any more sustainable than they were before. And same with Celtic. I mean, it's, the X point difference in the table is 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 less than the actual points difference. But I think we talked about this on the review and stuff before. That Celtics had that's because Celtics managed to. You know, kind of convert those tighter games into wins, into light wins. And and I think they have a system domestically against the weaker teams that just becomes too much for them. And I think it ranges essentially, I think this is in a nutshell in terms of the last few seasons with Celtic and Rangers, whereas Celtic has a playing style that is so overwhelming domestically. And while Rangers have a playing style that doesn't lend itself to dominance domestically so much, but it's more likely to succeed against better team in Europe and in the derbies. Yeah. So I think that's what it comes down to. So, so you, you said before this, but I mean, you know, you know, do I have to be worried? Are they good? You know, win. And it's like Celtic is a better team than Rangers. They have better players. I think they have a playing style that suits domestically winning a league title better. But Rangers' strengths are match up well with Celtic, if that makes sense. You know. I think what they're good at and the the playing style they're doing creates challenges for, for, for Celtic. And sometimes Celtic can blow them away, but it's even on the front Broncos and on the bill before, it's tight games. And you can see why because it's it's the two kind of playing styles. This is where kind of Rachel's playing style comes comes into its own better than against weaker teams, essentially. Um just to finish off, what should Celtic do? What should we do to win? So we talked a little bit about what we think we need to do um, when it comes to um, playing out from the back. Um, I, I think what Rangers will be trying to do is, is to go over the like Celtics press, right? They will get ball into the middle of Celtics pitch, but they don't win second ball. And it's all that red bull is. So I think Celtics press is. Because we talked about this on the review as well. Celtic get to practice their, their press like so little in, in an actual domestic game because nobody ever plays out from the back against them. I think what, what Celtic need to consider is if Rangers is going to try to play out a little bit more, if it is Raskin, you, that press essentially needs to be better 
because a lot of what's happening in Celtics Press now, you can run at Rangers and they'll kick the ball up. And okay, that might create a situation that's favorable for Rangers sometimes, but they're not playing through you. But if they're trying to play through you, they'll probably try and get Raskin on the ball behind Kyogo and the other midfielder, be O'Reilly and Moy. So I think that Celtics Press need to be on point and it needs to be a bit sharper than it was in the Champions League. So I think that's one of the things defensively. I think offensively, as you say, it sounds boring, but you know what you're going to face with the Rangers team and you know what you have to do. You have to be brave on the ball. You have to keep essentially, you know, turn the screw in terms of not going needlessly back, you know, not let them, you know, push Celtic up, go back to centre-back. Be relentless in trying to play out from the back and be relentless in that movement around the fullbacks and around the centre backs and so on. And it's like, it's just a, essentially, it's just playing how Ange wants you to play, but be brave enough to do it offensively with the ball. And also, if you do the pressing as well, press wholeheartedly. Like, come after, don't get too much distances. You know, the front two will have a big job, the middle two will have a big job. So it's, you know what's to expect and you know what you have to deliver. It's, it's just a case of, you know, do you pick the the right place for it and the players to pick are they able to execute that on the day? Well, let's uh, let's hope we are. Um, and uh, I'll look forward to yeah. <laughs> I was I was gonna lead up like I look this range just isn't great, as I said. But they're not this is the kind of game they like, and this is the kind of game they set off for. This is the, tactically how they set off for. So Celtic can't have any passengers in here. So in, passengers in terms of being too safe on the ball, it's, they have to be incisive. They have to be brave on the ball. They have to be able to constantly work on and off the ball and create that movement. Because if they do that, you know, they'll win. I, I, they just have so much quality and it has such an impulse system that if you execute the things as one and want you to do, and you're brave enough to do that on and off the ball, you know, right, Celtic's going to win. Um, I hope we'll have a, a joyous review with you and uh, Graham popping the champagne. Uh, to yes, look, uh, no matter what happens, we're going to suck the joy out of it. So, <laughs> Self-awareness, love it, love it. Or <laughs> or, or we, we'll, we'll, we'll temper uh, any disappointment. But, well, don't worry, we'll be sucking the joy out of it. We'll love. be sucking hard. So, yeah, you yeah. Uh, you absolutely suck. You both suck. Um, thank you. No, it's been a joy. Um, yeah, Christian, thank you as always. Uh, some fantastic stuff. Uh, we'll see you on the review on Tuesday to break over it all. And uh, good luck and enjoy. Hail, hail. Great stuff from Christian as always. Uh, the opposition analysis uh, letting us know how they are going to line up and how we can beat them. Um, Callum, as we come to the end, of, we are going to be the last voices people hear, subscribers hear, before we go into battle. So let's have a calming tone and let's let's talk it through it. Um, what do you think our approach is going to be? Do you think we are going to come out kind of of the kind of traps really aggressive and? proactively pushing or you know are we going to kind of sign it out because they are going to do the same is it literally going to be just smashing fists um 
I think it's going to be a, an elaborate fist bump of uh first 20, <laughs> 20 minutes. Um, you know, I talked about control and stuff earlier, but I don't see Ange really changing the way he approaches games and we start quick and, you know, that's very much his approach and I, I understand it. I think they'll they'll do the same. It's the nature of these games for, you know, as long as I've been watching the first 15, 20 minutes, there's very little football yeah. actually being played generally. It's about, you know, the idea of winning your battles and, and so on, which, you know, very much plays a part, um, you know, in games like this. And and then once it settles down, it's who, who can then sort of grab the initiative and control the ball. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think that's that is the key for us. When the game does settle down, can we sort of really, you know, impress our style in the game? Um, because I think we've got the, we've got the better football players, the better technical football players, um, and I think they'll, you know, I think they'll very much look to play in transition and catch us out like they did, like they did a couple of times at Ibrox and got a bit of joy from it. Uh, it's up to us to be, you know, a bit more switched on and a bit, you know, not safe and in possession in terms of taking taking the easy option because you can become hemmed into your own half quite easily. Yeah. Uh, and that, but, you know, it's about being secure in possession, not doing anything stupid, no silly mistakes um, and picking your right moment to try pick them apart. Um, I think that is the, the real key tomorrow. Uh, and, and all of that is about keeping your calm and keeping your composure. Absolutely. Um, key players for you, who do you expect them to be on the day? The big one for me is Kyogo. Um, I think if Kyogo has a good game and he has service, um, we win that game. You know, I think that's that's really clear because he's in such great form and he has a, he has a great striker. But um, stylistically, I don't think these games have necessarily suited them very well so far. You know, and we got the goal at Ibrox, and it was great to sort of break that up. But you know, I, I don't think I had a particularly good game no. uh, or whatever. And I think what's what's interesting is you know. I'm assuming he'll probably peel off on to, to Goldson, I'm not sure. Uh, but Goldson has that sort of well, terrible habit. I quite like it, actually, that he, he follows a man in, you know, and he'll continue following him in. I remember, you know, going back a few years now, um, playing them, and he once, you know, followed El Yunusi all the way into his own half. And I think we've seen moments from Kyogo in, in games, you know, Motherwell away um, a few months back, you know, the goal at St. Johnston the other week where Kyogo, if he drops in and can manage to sort of spin and play a pass, um, you know, into the channels because they do push their fullbacks high. I think there's a lot of joy to be, you know, had in there. Um, so I think Kyogo is a, a real key one um, because so far I, I don't think he's been, you know, there's a lot of mitigating circumstances, whether it's been played out of possession or injury or so on. But he's, he's not had a brilliant game against them yet. Um, and you know to be, to really establish himself as you know a Celtic great and sort of that pantheon of strikers, you need to turn up in these sort of yeah. big games. Um, and I think it's really really important that he's on it tomorrow. You know that being said, it's it's good having always as an option and a different stylistic option off the bench. But I think Kyogo is a, a key one for me, and, and then the other one's Hitati because if Hitati gets into his rhythm, it allows you to dictate the pace of the play of that midfield, and he can he can pick teams apart. Um, almost single-handedly at times. And that brings us into the, the idea of the referee. Um, I think we had a couple of questions at the start of the week about how, you know, in that semi-final, and, it, you know, I remember watching it, um, they were basically taking turns to foul Tom Rogic, and it really was that sort of systematic, I'll foul them, you foul them, so that, you know, I, I, they should, I, I mean, the fouls themselves should have been bookings anyway. But, you know, it's that classic, oh, it's your first one, we'll let you away with it. You know, I don't want to go early into the book and all that. Um, I mean, what do we expect from these referees? Nothing. 
I mean absolutely nothing. And when I say nothing, what do we expect? I'm talking about just just not going to be any consistency. That's going to be the main thing, right? Blatant masonry. That's what I expect. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but are you scared of ER? Yes, terrified. And every game that you go into, there's just that nagging feeling of you know, um, all of a sudden things can you know change uh, at the drop of a hat. Um, particularly in a final derby as well. Added into it. Um, no, the terrifying because you know the technology has not been used well so far. Uh, I think the only sort of saving grace is the idea of you know generally officials in these games don't want to be the talking point and let a lot of things go and the sort of um, there's a sort of greater, greater level of leniency which can certainly go against us in the well, referencing the semi final last season, but you know it also with VAR and so forth. I think that the threshold will be a lot higher for a VAR check, hopefully tomorrow than it than it typically would be, um, because you know ultimately I don't think the officials want to make the the game about them, or maybe they do. I'm not sure. Um, I think there's nothing we can do about it. Um, I think it's probably right up there with you know the biggest fear of you know what, what's going to prevent us from lifting that cup. You know the officials in VAR, I'd put right up there probably higher than than any of their players yeah. um, because yeah. I do think it will be a tight game and it will come down to to fine margins um, there's not you know there's not an abundance of players on that Rangers side that particularly scared me um, but for some reason Nick Walsh terrifies me Couldn't agree more it's disgusting um, finally I mean I think we're all kind of I think most people would pick the the back five being the same and probably the front three being the same with Hattati and McGregor. It really has just come down to that Moy O'Reilly, or maybe not for you. What, what's your kind of thoughts on the lineup itself? I think a lot of it picks itself, which is we've been you know used to over the years going into these games having to start whether it's Lewis Morgan up front, Mikey Johnson. You know, it's nice to have a full complement of players where okay. you know everyone's you know fit and in relatively good form. You know, it's a it's a good problem to have and not something we've always enjoyed uh, in big domestic games over the years. Um so yeah I think the the back five very much picks itself. Um you know Callum McGregor will start in there, Hitati undoubtedly, and then it's you know O'Reilly or Moy. Um I can understand the sort of and I'm sure Christian's probably covered it. The, the, the Matt O'Reilly argument is that you need legs and runners in that midfield to sort of combat um, to combat that sort of you know chaos ball that they were trying to invoke. Um, but to be honest, I, I think the the actual the idea of controlling the ball for me is, is sort of edges that out. Uh, I think. Aaron Moy can do, you know, defensive work okay. He's not necessarily great at it. Um, but I think it's about, you know, us um imp- imprinting our identity on the on the game. Uh, and that comes through controlling ball and building it out and building attacks. Uh well, I think also if you you know, I think O'Reilly's a really good option off the bench, um, with fresh legs. Um if Matt O'Reilly does start, you know, I thought he was good last week. Um I think he's He's had some great games against them and some where he's been a little bit anonymous. Um, I wouldn't be too disappointed if he does start, but for me, the the control of the midfield is important. Um, and I don't think, you know, there's nothing in that Rangers midfield that necessarily I think that Adam Moy wouldn't be capable of dealing with. You know, he's not exactly going to get eaten alive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, look, we're set. We're good to go. 
give me a prediction. Doesn't have to be the scoreline. Doesn't have to be, you know, what, what the final kind of end up's going to be. But it can be anything you want. Give me a prediction for the game, Cal. I got my last one right, so I'm hoping two for two. I'll go for two 0 Celtic. Beautiful, love it. Um, Callum Gordon, this has been an absolute joy, a pleasure. Um, thank you for getting involved. Uh, this has been the preview. Thank you, Callum. Thank you for having me. Let's get stuck right into them. Right into them. Uh, from Callum Gordon, from myself, Christopher Gallagher. Good luck, everyone. I'm on the hoops. This has been the preview, and we'll speak to you down the road. Mm-hmm.